Hello, hello everyone, welcome, we are back, finally, after such a long break, I am back with episode number 45 of the Localization Podcast, this is Andres, though in case you have forgotten my name and my voice. So, I think I mentioned in the last sort of bonus episode who will be the new guest, because I already had the interview recorded at the time, and it will be none other than Alexei Timin from the Bumble team. This is one of the episodes where we go pretty in-depth and we focus on a certain process and the guest walks us through it. And in this case, we're going to get a pretty step-by-step sort of a guide of how Bumble handles their localization from the initial idea of a new feature until it gets released to the users around the world. Now, in case you are married or you have already found your partner, let me quickly tell you something about Bumble. So Bumble is one of the dating apps, something like a Tinder. The unique feature of Bumble is that once you get a match, so you still do your swiping right, swiping left. Once you have a match, it's the lady that needs to take the first action. So as a guy, you just have to wait and see if the lady gets back to you or no, despite having a match. Alexei works as a developer and he has developed a lot of their internal localization tools. So the Bumble team doesn't rely, from what I understood, much on the commercial localization platforms or solutions that you may be aware of. They pretty much develop their whole program using their own tools. So this interview might be a little bit techie, but for those of you non-techies, this is an opportunity to learn something new. Now, before we get into the interview, I would like to take a few moments to thank everyone who has joined the Localization Podcast's LinkedIn page. I think we surpassed 300 people. Thank you. Thank you very much. Let me start from the last people. So we have Fatma Badawi, Yuan Chen, Abdel Vahab Abdul Aziz, Hamza Mahmoud, Christian Steinhoff, Nazif Bena, Glory Chenyang Cho, Aurelien Gagner, Shaima Riyad, Shahinaz G, Cassandra Wang, Maria Clara Sebalos Gurkem Lale, Nam Hoang, Zuber Sayed, Isliana AR, Letaliu Nadine Aguazon, Tiraj Kumar, Shady Muhammad, Adriana del Rosario, Eugenia Yurere, uh, Sigdem Terzi, Alejandro Gonzalez Lopez, Oksana Torvik, Sandy Chen, Lloyd Brinas, Carla Wagner, Vera Lee, Nadia Buya, and finally we have Mariel Almeida Alberti. Thank you everyone for joining the localization podcast hopefully you're getting some value out of this thing that i'm creating here (laughs) with my guests and that means it's time to get right into the interview with alex timin from bumble alex welcome to the podcast thank you how are you doing my man not bad (laughs) (laughs) quite good today very optimistic um first of all like should i call you alex or do you prefer alexey uh you can call me both both whatever you like okay so the funny thing is that you're not the first person who has reached out to me to to come to the podcast 
So thank you very much for making my life easier. And I'm very happy that you reached out to me because I don't think when was the last time that I had a really, let's say, technical discussion here on the podcast. So I think it will be something good uh, for the audience to maybe show them something different, something more technical. And maybe we can start with saying where exactly you work and who do you work for? I'm from Moscow, which is in Russia. And I've been working for uh, Badu and Bumble. Uh, Bumble operates both Badu and uh, Bumble. And uh, uh, it's a great uh, technical brand uh, here in Moscow. Every, everyone knows uh, Badu, for example, and Bumble. Everyone knows uh, uh, tools which were created by our engineers. So. It's quite. It's great to work in this company. How did you How did you first find out about this company? Because you mentioned that the people in Russia know about Badu and Bumble as like this tech. I don't know. I don't want to say giant, but like someone who's in front of the 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 tech leadership. But but what makes them so so great? Like how do they? Do they tell everyone, like the students, that we are so great, or do they make their tech available to other people? Like, is it like open source thing, or we we attend a lot of activities, uh, every conference, for example, we prepare several uh, speeches and reports and present them. Uh, we uh, write uh, a lot of uh, technical articles, so almost uh, every. Uh, engineer knows about our company that's how we achieve it right so this is this is part of part of the activity <laughs> yes <laughs> go on podcasts yes maybe maybe for some people i think maybe it would be good to just briefly tell them what is bumble because i'm not sure that everybody actually knows what it is um, Bumble is an application where people meet each other, where women, where women make the first move. Yes, yes. I think that's the distinction from Tinder, because yeah. this one is where the ladies have the first go, I would say. I think the way it works, because I, I'm not going to lie, I tried it <laughs> before <laughs> here in Vancouver. I think the way it works that is that you still do the the normal swiping, swipe left, swipe right. But once you have a match, it's the it's the lady that needs to first initiate the contact, right? Within a certain time, I think. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So when we were discussing the topic for this podcast for this episode with you, I think the idea was you would walk us through a process of let's say we have a new feature for Bumble and how it would make its way to users internationally. Yes, yes. Okay. L l let's go. <laughs> okay. Yeah, maybe maybe before we start, just my usual question that I normally ask people, how did you get into localization? Did you end up in localization because of Bumble or did you have any tinkering with localization before? I knew nothing about localization. <laughs> Before uh, Bumble, uh -huh. um, but uh, when I was uh, offered uh, to work in localization, I just uh, decided to do it because it was very interesting 
how everything uh, works, how how just a regular text becomes an international text and uh, is displayed in different locations within the application. Did you co- join the company straight as a developer for localization tools or did you first work somewhere else and then you moved into localization? Uh, first, I worked on access control system and photo moderation system. But later, I moved into the localization department. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've been working in this department for for almost six six years right okay maybe maybe one thing before we get into the whole processes from what i understand you guys and you even mentioned it in the beginning you guys sort of have this your own tools did somebody in the beginning make a research like market research of what the other tools are available in the market and then you decided to actually develop everything on your own like what would be the the reason why you decided to do your own tools instead of using something that's already available? No, that's a great question. And uh, uh, that's all about process speed, flexibility, quality, security, and saving costs. So before you start the development of internal tools, you should consider different opportunities which are available on the market. And uh, for now, internal tools work uh, best especially in terms of uh, localization. Are there actually any tools that you use that are commercial or is everything like 100% developed internally? Uh, localization tools are 100% developed internally. We uh, tried and examined some commercial tools, but we decided to stick with our own. And uh, if your app can be translated and checked, uh, for example, by two employees, you definitely don't need a sophisticated localization system. But uh, in our case, uh, we have so many custom solutions. Uh, for example, uh, screenshot generation out of uh, design files, uh, then uh, hot update functionality for mobile devices uh, and uh, live shots. This too allows uh, us to check uh, screenshots of every application scenario in every language. Some of them are available in uh, third-party solutions, uh, but some of them are not. Uh, That's why we develop internal tools. Right. It's uh, it's developed. uh, The active development uh, is finished. Now we just uh, support it, maintain. Okay. Good. So I think that as we walk through the process, I think it would be a good idea where maybe you can share how some of your tools like help the process. So I guess we can just get started because I think it's going to take us a little while. <laughs> I was actually thinking about it, like what kind of feature we're going to, let's say, imagine that we're developing. And since we said the the specific thing for Bumble is that the ladies have their first go, what if I suggested that um, I'm pretty sure there's like an international men's day. What if there was a feature where on this specific day, it would reverse the functionality. So on this day, the guys would have the first go. Uh, okay. Uh, first, we have to start with the uh, requirements. And uh, at this stage, we prepare product requirements document where we describe uh, every idea 
uh, and uh, how it should work. Uh, after that, uh, we add everything is needed for development into this uh, PRD. For example, texts. We add texts. We uh, approve them, which means that we check uh, that the texts are correct and they will be okay uh, in that uh, particular market. Right. For, for example, be before you release any text, you have to be sure that uh, this text is not uh, a violation of rules. Uh, this is just a good text, which will uh, uh, reflect uh, the same idea as you uh, wanted to say. We're still talking about the source language, right? Only. Yes, yes, yes. The PRD, and this is about source language. Yes, yes. Right. Before you start translating, you have to choose your source language. Uh, if most of your team understand uh, English, it should be English. If it's Russian, it definitely should be Russian. Mm. So what is it in your case? Is it English? In our case, it's English. And uh, it's uh, inter international English. <laughs> because we have uh, an office in Great Britain, in London. And uh, there is British English, and uh, we have uh, other office in America. So there is American English, so it's international English. Yeah. Are you thinking at this stage about internationalization? Like you mentioned, like if the text doesn't violate any rules, but before that, we were talking about the features. Let's say, does somebody, do you have any specific person who looks like, okay, like what Andre suggested and what we're going to implement right now actually wouldn't work, I don't know, in some uh, feminist country <laughs> or something like that? Or does it like when it comes to the features, like what it should do, can it be affected by certain countries or is it only once we get to the, let's say, the text level? where it can have implications of, yes, this could work in those countries and no, it wouldn't work in some other countries. Uh, every idea comes from product managers and they investigate uh, uh, the markets and they know if uh, it works uh, or not. So they have uh, initial idea if it works. After that, we have to analyze uh, texts and uh, approaches uh, some of our localization managers uh, investigate uh, different languages. For example, uh, Mexican Spanish, how is it different from Spain Spanish? And uh, uh, what if we show a Mexican Spanish uh, person Spanish translation? Will they understand it? So we have to consider all of these uh, things. And so for the text, you mentioned that you check like if it's going to be appropriate. Are we still just only checking if the source text is going to be okay in certain countries? Uh, yes, we prepare English texts. We approve them. We say that they're appropriate. And after that, we are ready to send them for translation. In the, in the PRD, we have uh, a lexem table. This is a, a table which uh, consists of all the texts which should be used in the uh, final application when we implement this functionality. And uh, 
as soon as all uh, texts are approved, uh, we send this PRZ with the Lexan table to our localization managers. And uh, very quick, one of them adds all the texts into the system. It takes just minutes. And uh, after that, uh, we can start development. Okay, I'm, pr I'm pressing pause. I have I have a question about this. I think we we talk when we talk about the the PRD document. From from when I was checking your article, is it really just a word document, or do you have like a specific system where you describe these new features and the uh, Lexeme like table? It can be a word document, a Google sheet, a Google <laughs> document. Uh, or just a wiki page. But uh, this document uh, should uh, have uh, all the uh, required parts. So description, explanation, and the Lexam table. Mm -hmm. that, that's, that's a little bit interesting to me because I <laughs> the impression that you are like this you know this 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 tech company and you have pretty much a tool for everything <laughs> but for the prd you're still sticking to to word document is it maybe because like a lot of people can easily like comment it's like easier to have a discussion about the features yes yes of course of course discussions are very easy and you don't need to make things uh, complicated more difficulty complicated right one more thing was that um so you mentioned that you you already draft these these strings and you have them approved but how about the design of these new features is this already done as you do the as you i mean as you create the source strings or no because otherwise to me it sounds seems like you know like you're creating the strings without the let's say the visual context like where it would be placed and how much space it would need and so on they are created in parallel um, but at the later stage, we have to ensure that uh, everything fits, that every text uh, uh, fits. For example, the text for a button should not be much longer than that button. And uh, before we start the development, uh, the design is already uh, prepared and uh, the texts are approved. and. Uh, the functionality is ready to be implemented so there is no uh, there are no translations yet but we can uh, start development are you using pseudo localization by any chance or no sorry pseudo pseudo localization yeah so it's when you sort of like um like rng you know like you randomly like replace the source string with some extended characters you maybe extend the length of the string so it creates something that's that does, it's not a readable text but it sort of like simulates how it would look like after translation so the text could be longer it has these extended characters and then you basically you can try to see if the pseudo localization with those garbled characters actually fits your design and if it doesn't break any functionality no we don't do this uh, at, at the localization at the translation stage but uh, uh, our translators have a special tool uh, which can generate uh, screenshots for them with uh, the translation they've just provided 
so for a German translation, a German translator types something and uh, uh, the tool can generate uh, a preview for them. Right. Yeah. Okay. So let's, let's, let's backtrack a little bit because it's my fault that we're just jumping around. <laughs> so I think that after you mentioned that, that we have this document ready and the Lexeme table as well, then it goes to the localization managers and they put it into a system. So what kind of system are we talking about? Is that, is this like your own TMS solution sort of, or? Yes, it's our in-house solution. Uh, I'll try to describe it. So it's just uh, a web page <laughs> where a special uh, text area where you can paste uh, the texts. Uh, you click uh, the save button and every text is added into our system. Uh, after that, uh, developers can uh, assign a unique string text identifier and uh, use uh, the text into the source code. Got it. So this is how you separate the the resources from the from the code, right? So you can localize it. Yes, you can translate, and you can uh, develop. So how do the localization managers actually load up the strings into the system? Do they just like <laughs> copy the all the segments? Does it like detect, I don't know, like line breaks so that it like does the proper segmentation or? Uh, they do it uh, manually. Manually, one one string by string, really? One One string by string, yes, yes, yes. Okay, all right. So then it's in the system. And it's assigned the IDs from the developers. And then is that when you start the translation? Yes. And after that, you can start translation and development. And uh, every, every text, every lexem uh, should be assigned, should be linked to a ticket, Jira ticket. That's how we, that's how we track changes. Right. So the system that you mentioned is mostly just to to do the translation. It's for the translators, but the actual workflow and what is happening with the Lexemes that's on the Jira system. Is that correct? We use Jira to to track uh, changes and to and to know when to deploy the changes because. Uh, Every functionality we release consists of two parts. It's uh, the source code, which is in PHP, for example, and the translations, which are in different languages. And we have to deploy them at the same time. So when we deploy uh, a so the source code, we uh, find the related Jira ticket. And uh, that's, that's how we find uh, the related lexems for this source code. And we release them simultaneously. Otherwise, uh, the source code won't be working on production. Mm -hmm. Got it. And also, we use uh, these uh, links to Jira Ticket uh, for our dashboard, where we can see all uh, tasks which are in progress, because we have to finish translations, and after that, we will be able to release the functionality. And we also can see on this dashboard uh, which languages are too slow 
yeah, that's all. That's, that's how we use uh, Jira. Right. So, so is that how the localization managers, let's say, push the translations to the translators? Is it through the Jira ticket? How they notify them to to start the translation, or is it through that special system of yours? Uh, we use Jira just for releases mm. and for localization managers, uh, just to control the overall release uh, uh, cycle. And our translators are notified by uh, our custom notifications, our custom notification system, and uh, uh, they can translate uh, texts as soon as we add them into the system. Mm-hmm. So the system you're we're referring to the one that you created, right? Yes, yes, yes. Okay. It looks like, uh, for example. A German or a Russian translator uh, looks at the web page where uh, their uh, translation queue is shown. It's just uh, text which should be translated. One thing that I'm curious about is from what I read that you are using this collaborative translation platform. Is this what we're talking about? Because that sounds like crowdsourcing. Are you crowdsourcing everything or do you have crowdsourcing only for specific cases? And I don't know, let's say if you're translating some important UI strings, then you have, let's say, dedicated translators which are working on certain languages. We use this platform, uh, the collaborative translation platform, just uh, for those of our users who who is willing to help to help us translate our products. Uh, it is just uh, help to our uh, professional translators. So we we don't translate everything using this uh, crowdsourcing uh, platform, uh, but we translate something, and uh, it depends uh, on the votes. So h- how it works? Uh, if you want to translate something, you just log in to this platform, add your translation, or vote uh, for the existing one and uh, for example uh, if uh, a translation uh, gets uh, six votes for russian for example it can be uh, reviewed uh, reviewed by our uh, translator and uh, used uh, as a default translation so 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 the so the crowd can actually overpower the the translator's own translation. Uh, sorry, what do you mean? So let's say let's say I'm not sure if I get this right. So let's say a string goes into to a translator, right? Your professional translator. They do the translation, but then through the through the collaborative translation platform, the 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 active the power users they come up with their own translation and they upvote it. So would it be still the decision of the translator? And maybe they can be like, okay, I prefer the translation from the crowd rather than my own translation. Or is there a third party which maybe makes a decision if it's between the professional translator versus the crowd? Um, let's say the, uh, the crowd, <laughs> the crowd translation uh, should appear uh, before our internal translator 
provides their translation. Yes. And uh, this platform works uh, well for uh, languages like, for example, Japanese, Korean, because we have uh, some translators uh, in our company, but uh, not that much. We have only seven, seven translators, uh, which translates uh, everything to we call them main languages, which is uh, French, Spanish, English, uh, Russian, and what else? Italian? Italian, yes, Italian. So we translate in main lang into main languages uh, by our own translators, and uh, everything is translated within uh, a couple of hours. How much time do you, well, you just mentioned that it's translated within a couple of hours. Is that how you normally expect the translations to be ready? Because from what I understand, the development is running in parallel. So do you normally expect the translations to be done faster than the development? Or is the development that fast as well? that You can pretty much dish out the features very, very fast. Uh First, we expect that every translation will be ready within uh, 48 uh, hours. And uh, we don't expect that uh, development will be finished uh, within the same amount of time. Uh, that's why we have uh, the check uh, that uh, everything is translated <laughs> before we release. So we're, we we release when uh, the source code is ready, and we also check that the translations are uh, ready too. Uh, so what was your, the second uh, question, the second part? I don't know, but I have another question. <laughs> so 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 when we're talking about the translations, previously you mentioned something about screenshots. I'm not sure if this comes at a later stage. But since the development is, is sort of like still in progress, what context do the translators have when they get the strings for translation? Do you, do you share with them maybe the design files, the, the PRD, or what do they have? We always uh, provide uh, text description and, uh, and a screenshot. So we always specify the context where this uh, translation will be used. We do this uh, on the stage when we add uh, all the text into our system. So the localization managers not only add uh, the text into the system, but also provide uh, context. And uh, we can, uh, ah, I already said this, but uh, we can generate uh, localized screenshots out of design files. Mm. We don't need to wait for development to be finished. Yeah, maybe 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 explain how that thing works. Like what what design tool do you use? Like Figma sketch or your own thing? We have uh, the, the ability to generate screenshots out of sketch files. Uh, a regular sketch file is just uh, a zip file with a JSON in it. So you can unpack uh, 
amend the strings and pack back, back into Z and generate uh, previews. Hmm. Didn't know that. <laughs> okay. So so the, the translations once they're finish. Do you have any quality process in place? Is there someone who checks the translations? Yeah, sure. We have um, quality check, uh, but we start checking translations uh, just after they are added. So when a translator provides the translation, we validate the translation because uh, we don't want uh, to miss any HTML tags. We don't want to miss uh, any variables or we, or we don't want to variable names to be changed. So these are like automated checks. Yes, automated checks. And we also warn our translators if their translation is 30% uh, uh, longer than the original text. That's how we validate. So there's uh, there's always the possibility to generate a screenshot and to check what will be shown in the end. For example, the source code is ready, the development is finished, and we have to check uh, the localization. We can make uh, screenshots of the test application and uh, to send them back to translators and ask them, do you like how it looks like? And they can uh, reply, yes, we like, or no, we don't like. Uh, let's uh, try with enough translation. We have a special tool for this uh, process. So where uh, you can upload screenshots and ask uh, translators. Uh, and also, we have uh, the tool uh, which is called Live Shots. This is uh, an automation. It uh, makes uh, screenshots. Uh, constantly weekly for example and uh, after that uh, you can go to a dedicated interface and check every uh, scenario every process uh, you are interested in for example uh, how our users see uh, the process of purchasing of a special service so this is the first uh, screen, this is the second screen, the third screen, and the final screen. And you can check this process uh, on an, in an any language. Mm -hmm. Right, so this is automated, right? The screenshot creation. Yes, and the, screenshot, the screenshot creation is automated. Uh, and uh, every our product manager has access to this system. So everything is controlled uh, by everyone, starting from the translator. <laughs> right, the localization managers. Localization managers, so yes, after that, uh, we also have uh, the uh, Q&A stage where our QA engineers click, check every pop-up, every uh, every piece of our application or or web application does that happen after the translation is already like in i don't know some staging area or or at which part does the qa come into play qa comes into play when everything is uh, in development so it also can be on staging usually we check our uh, 
mm-hmm. our functionalities uh, twice when they are in development and when they are on staging. So this is just how our Q&A process looks like. Got it. And one more thing that I was interested in that previously you mentioned that for some of the languages, you don't have the people in-house, like the translators, like for Korean or something like that. That's where you utilize the crowd a little bit more. So are they also part of the review process that they get the screenshots? Yes, yes, yes. They're parts of the process. And uh, yes, they're part of the process. Uh, they are the only people who know uh, how the translations should look uh, in their language. For example, almost no one uh, understands Korean in our company. So how did you pick the the people from the crowd? Do you have like some criteria or is like anyone anyone can just volunteer and you rely on the power of the majority, let's say, <laughs> that votes? Uh, we just uh, send... Uh... Ah, I have a story for you, uh, which took place in Mexico. We, we wanted to translate our apps uh, into Mexican, Spanish. And we asked our users to help us. We sent them notifications. And please help us translate uh, in return for credits, which can be spent in our applications. Uh, and uh, almost 5,000 uh, texts were translated just in two days. Oh. I think uh, we utilized greatly. <laughs> the crowdsource power power so that's that's maybe the people who contribute to the to the translation process but can people who are just users report translation issues when they're using the app in life like like they're not part of the process in any way but i'm just swiping left right and i see a problem can i report it somehow or how does it work like like a feedback from the actual, let's say, final end users? Uh, sure, you can report, but we uh, don't uh, choose uh, uh, crowd translators on any condition. We just uh, ask all our users to help. We did that uh, when we wanted to translate everything into Mexican, but now we send uh, notifications only to those of them who are registered on that uh, collaborative translation platform. So they want to translate and we uh, give them the possibility to do it. And we notify them. Okay, may- maybe now let's let's dive a little bit deeper into the A-B testing, because to me that it's something that I actually was proposing to one bigger <laughs> corporation before when I was working with them. And... Uh, it, it it didn't go anywhere. So so tell me something about the A-B testing, how it works practically. Like what translations would you A-B test? How does the A-B testing work? How you measure the results and, and so on? Sometimes you need to identify which is translation, which of translations is the best. So you have two and you can't choose. And you can run an A-B test and uh, 
In, at, at what time would you would you not be able to choose? Because so far I sort of understood that there's always this this professional translator who can make the decision, or is it when that one person cannot decide? That's when they use the A/B testing. Or in which case would you have two competing translations? Like I, I can imagine it like if you if you do the crowd translation, that maybe the votes are more or less equal, and that's when you would want to A/B test it. But if you have the pro- professional and stuff, do they do they not have the? Maybe they do have the the power to decide which translation to select. But is it maybe when they're not decisive about the translation that they want to do the A/B testing? Uh, sometimes it's possible to translate uh, the same idea uh, using different tone of voices, for example. Right. And uh, you have uh, to test which tone of voice you should be using with your users and how it affects uh, user experience. So that's why you have to try first. And uh, you show users different variations, different variants. And uh, after that, you just uh, count, for example, amount of clicks and uh, based on that, you decide which uh, translation you should uh, leave. You should use as default. Mm-hmm. Is it is it usually just A versus B, or can it also be multiple variants? A, B, C, yes, yes. Multiple variants uh, are possible, and uh, usually we test multiple variants. And how is the how this 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 A B? I mean, how do you select the groups that let's say see the variant A? Is it all random, or do you have any systematic approach? Yes, we have special tool where you can set up all uh, rules. For example, this text should be shown to users who are twenty seven years old, live in. Uh, Germany or Spain and uh, speak this language. Got it. What what is the like the minimum criteria for A B test to be considered valid? Like probably to have a minimum number of users that are shown these variants? Uh, yes, it's a number of users. Uh, I don't know the exact number. And I think it's uh, it varies from from a test to test. So, but uh, basically, yes, it's a number of users, thousands, thousands of users. Yeah, I think I think that's a that's a good idea. I think I haven't seen it anywhere else used practically that people would actually use A/B tests to determine which translation is better. And I think that's actually one of the things where the other people could try something new because normally it's really just that the people rely on just on on few individuals that say okay this is a better translation but i think if you just show it to the users and let them decide instinctively which one is better to which with which translation they maybe engage more i think it makes a lot more more sense Okay, so that's that's maybe the A/B testing. So that assumes, I guess, that that 
everything has been already deployed, but maybe you wanna talk about how the deployment works of everything. Okay, okay, let's talk. So uh, deployment thing, we have uh, different approaches for different platforms because uh, it's very easy to deploy translations for server side or for web version because uh, we need only to deploy the translations uh, into our servers. But uh, And we have different approach for mobile applications where we can uh, either create a new build, release it through the App Store or Google Play, or we can also send a hot update to every our users and uh, update their translations. And uh, we can talk about hot updates, for example. Yes, yes, I was just going to ask about it. Like, is that your is that your own custom solution, or is that something that all the mobile developers know about? Is it? I, I don't know what it is. It's our custom solution. We every instance of our application uh, checks on startup uh, if there are new translations available for downloading, mm -hmm. because uh, every instance of our application knows their version ID. Uh, I mean, uh, translation version ID. So they send this version to the server side, and uh, the server side uh, responds if there is something new uh, for the client. If there is, uh, then the client can download new version of translations and uh, use it. And uh, it uh, takes three days to update. Uh, 90% of our clients. Right. So that, so that's like maybe let's say the frequency of how they use their app and it triggers on, on the launch, right? Of the app. Yes, yes. When you launch the app, uh, it asks our server if there is something new. Does the, does the update happen in background or is the user aware of that? No, no, no. Everything uh, happens uh, <laughs> in background. So, so does it mean that through this hot update, you can also push updates to, to strings that would normally have to be updated through the build update that goes through the stores? Or are those strings separated? Because I'm, in this case, I'm not sure why you would have to do the, the regular update through the store if you can do everything through the hot update. You have to do a regular update uh, through the store if you want to deliver a new functionality. Right, yeah, yeah. And that's all. A every text can be updated using the hot update functionality. Ah, I see, I see. Okay. Cool. Is there anything else that we missed? I think one of the, one of the important things is because you have sort of like this lean operation, I would say. It's <laughs> not very many lsps and vendors and different supply chains involved how does it how does the interaction between the translators and the dev team work since there are your pretty much your colleagues especially for the main languages do you do you interact just i don't know like through through zoom or through the ticket if they have any questions 
Uh, you mean how our developers and translators interact? Yeah, because typically the translators might run into issues, you know, like, I don't understand what this means. Even if you provide a description, maybe they're not sure about that. How do you handle the interaction between them? Every translator can ask the questions, uh, can ask uh, the localization manager mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. for for a context if they mm, don't understand something. Sometimes translators uh, ask uh, the localization managers to split a lexem, a text, because because it's just impossible to translate uh, correctly into their own language. Uh, correctly, both for men and for women. So they ask to provide uh, two separate texts. Our localization managers uh, can reach uh, developers, and developers can reach localization managers. For example, uh, localization managers uh, can ask uh, developers to pass uh, users' gender because. Uh, we needed to choose the correct text for that particular user. So localization managers and developers can interact uh, within our communication tools, uh, such as Slack, for example. And uh, other translators can communicate with the localization managers, uh, but not with uh, the developers. Okay. Is there something else that you would want to <laughs> highlight from the whole process because i feel like i don't know if it's because i already did my research on, on this topic and i'm also not completely an it noob <laughs> but i feel like like we didn't go super super techie like like i would be like what is he talking about <laughs> so <laughs> is there something i don't know like what is like the the one thing that you're like super proud of that you helped create like from all the tools the super tool is our translation memory tool mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. we use it for all the languages it helps us to keep uh, style consistent and uh, tone of voice because it's very easy to check uh, similar texts and how they were translated and uh, to use the, tr the translation it uh, also speeds up the whole translation process right do you have this? Do you have the TM integrated within the the web platform where the translators do the translation, or is it separate? Yes, no, no, it's integrated. Uh, every time translator translates something, we show a small uh, TM uh, icon on top of the text area, uh, which says that uh, there are similar translations. Uh, please check them. Don't do <laughs> the work you can avoid. And uh, talking about technical things, uh, I can also tell you about uh, uh, how we check the way our developers uh, use translations. So every time a developer uh, asks our system to provide translations, uh, so they use uh, the text ID and uh, call for translations. And they also uh, provide uh, values for substitution. For example, a text can can, uh, can have uh, a variable, a numeric variable, 
amount of uh, users, amount of likes, and, or just a, a name of another person. And we have to check uh, that uh, the users, uh, uh, the values which are passed for substitution, that they are correct. And uh, at least we could check uh, their types, that we don't try to substitute uh, a string value. Uh, we don't uh, try to substitute a string placeholder uh, with an integer value. Got it. Well, well, you know, so when we are talking about the, the transition memory of your own, were you there from the start when you started working on this internal transition memory tool or no? I implemented it uh, on my own. We, we, had, uh, we had another implementation before. It was based on uh, MySQL. But uh, it was claimed to be not so good. And uh, I just did a small investigation and understood that we could uh, utilize uh, Elasticsearch. And to do you know what is Elasticsearch? I, I, <laughs> I was, I was just going to say that we're getting into the territory where it's, where it's, Techie, which is good. I, I heard about Elasticsearch before, but I, I do not know. So it would be a long shot for me. So please explain what is Elasticsearch. Elasticsearch provides you with the possibility to search through enormous amount of text. Right. Does it, does it still have to be structured data or is it also unstructured? It's just unstructured text. And you can uh, set up your own indices on those texts. For example, you can create index uh, which uh, will be which will consist uh, of uh, uh, bigrams. You know what is big bigram bigram? No. You split you split every phrase into pieces of two words or three words. Uh, and this uh, increases uh, the speed of the search. Not only the speed of the search, but the quality of suggestions. Quality of suggestions? You mean like, like for example, when I use searching Google and I have the auto suggestions, <laughs> or is that something else? <laughs> uh, look, for example, uh, you have uh, to translate a phrase which consists of. Uh, three words and you try to find a similar phrase and you use uh, by a single word so you split your initial uh, phrase into three independent words and and try to find similar text so you find a lot of text but uh, the result will be greater if you split uh, your text into uh, couples, for example, this will help you to find only those matches uh, which uh, have uh, uh, this couple of uh, words in them. In and uh, their order will be the same. So, so that's how it helps to improve uh, the quality of predictions. Got it. 
So when we're talking about the TM, I would assume that you probably did some research on the commercial TMs. So one of the things that you normally associate with TM is the TM matches. Like if it's a 100% match or like a 50% match, do you also integ integrate something like this? Let's say the translator would get as a suggestion the higher quality match versus the lower one, or do you have some sort of sorting? Uh, yes, uh, the Elasticsearch provides uh, a score, which we use for sorting, but we can't show the score to our translators because it's very hard to interpret it. And we just we just decided to calculate our own score, and uh, it's just uh, amount of uh, amount of different letters in the stream. So so we have a string of hundred letters. Uh, thirteen letters are different, so we just divide thirteen by by a hundred, and that's our score. And it works. Do you store any metadata about the the translation pairs, like the the source and the target? Like, do you do you store the description or I don't know some context around it? Uh, you mean in the Elasticsearch? Because in our translation system, we store store everything. We don't delete anything. And in the Elasticsearch, we store only the index we use uh, to, to search for similar translations. So we store there uh, the initial text and the identifier of that text in our system. And after that, we can find any translation in our system for that text. Got it. And since, you, since you're so tech-forwardy, what about machine translation? Have you evaluated machine translation or does it not apply for for dating apps? <laughs> uh, I don't think uh, they can be applied for dating apps uh, because uh, machine... In my opinion, machine translation is great for user-generated content. For example, you want to... You wish to translate... Uh, comments on your site. It's okay to use machine translation here, or for example, uh, for AliExpress. Everything is translated using machine translation on AliExpress. Uh, it's not a good translation, but uh, it can be uh, understood by anyone. And we, in our company, want to provide uh, the best translations. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. Do Do you have any idea about the size of the the strings or the words that are within the app? The amount of text in our applications. Uh, we have a uh, hundred and fifty thousand texts in our database. Mm. But but does but I think you mentioned that you don't delete it. So does it mean that these are also let's say old strings that are not part of the let's say the most up to date app, or is this really what's currently in the actual version? Uh, some of them are inactive, 
but most of them are active. It's quite a lot. And by text, you mean a string or a word? Uh, usually I use the term lexem, <laughs> which means uh, string. Uh, not string. It can be either string uh, or just a word. Uh, lexem is a piece of text which uh, can be split. And uh, we have to translate this piece uh, whole. We can't uh, divide it and translate separate parts. Uh, for example, uh, for legal docs, uh, Alexam is, uh, oh, I don't know. It could be a sentence. Or a paragraph. Or a whole paragraph, yes. But for interface lexem for interface text it could be just uh, uh, yes uh, one word lexem for a button for a button for example okie dokie so i think we've covered the the process pretty much unless there's something else that you want to share <laughs> if not then i'll just grill you personally <laughs> i think we uh, we have covered everything mm -hmm. Maybe one thing, because I know that when we had our introduction call, and, and you also said that you guys share a lot about your process for the, let's say, the future generation of Alexis and so on. So what is the one thing that you would advise to young software engineers in general? That would be my one question. And the second one would be specifically about localization. Because I would say that a lot of the people who are studying to become a software engineer, they don't think much about localization. So let's start with the first question because I don't want to put you in. Yes. So, so what would, what would be like your tip for, I don't know, people who are into coding, developing, and they're just still studying? What is the reality? <laughs> I would suggest them. And not to overcomplicate things. Just uh, it's uh, better to write a straightforward code, which is quite clear to everyone, than to use uh, some uh, language-specific features, for example. And uh, it will be just uh, more difficult to understand. Mm -hmm. And what about localization? What is your experience? Do you, do you consider yourself to be part of localization or are you still just like software engineer that does tools which are used for localization? No, <laughs> I don't just create tools for localization. It's a, it's a very interesting area. And uh, for example, one part of this area is uh, machine translation, which is a very interesting thing. And uh, every software engineer who decides to work in localization should understand, should know that uh, localization, it's not only about showing different translations to users. 
So uh, there is a great uh, and difficult logic behind all this stuff. Okay, so when you were younger, you were where were you into coding? Like since since what age were you into what you're doing right now? Are you the guy who was into computers like since eleven? <laughs> Wait, where where are you? Are you actually that person who was like coding at age eleven? At eleven? Yeah, really. Yeah, really. It was Delphi. Wow! Holy shit! <laughs> That's crazy. What was the first thing that you were, I don't know, toying with? It's uh, Delphi IDE, Delphi Forms. Delphi was very popular twenty years ago. Right. <laughs> wow. So, did you? What What was the thing that you were? I don't know. Thinking of building once you get to be an adult. <laughs> did you want to like create games or those kind of things? Or to be honest, uh, I didn't uh, think about it at all. I was just curious uh, about how everything works and and why. First, I started from Delphi. Then I tried uh, Assembler, and uh, I actually know that one. <laughs> I'm that old, <laughs> but I hated it when I when we had it at the at the university. It was like, why would I need to learn about Assembler when we have I don't know Pascal and C and C sharp and C plus plus and so on? Yeah. Uh -huh. I tried C++ and Pascal, where, yes, it, it was very interesting. What is your favorite programming language? To be honest, I, I don't have one. Now I, I use PHP uh, and uh, Python and, and JavaScript. But uh, I also like, let's say, C++ and C, but uh, I don't have uh, tasks which I could solve using these languages. So are you saying that there are <clears throat> specific programming languages that can solve certain tasks and the other languages cannot? Could you could you not create, I don't know, a Bumble for guys in C++ or? It's possible. You even can create Bumble using Assembler. <laughs> but it will take, take ages. <laughs> ages, yes. Uh, some languages have uh, uh, libraries designed specifically for you, for your task, and that's why you should use languages and not uh, because you like them. Right. That's why the. I mean, that's why Python is used for NLP stuff, right? Yes. 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 Yeah. A lot of libraries, a lot of libraries created for machine learning. Yeah. So do you guys have any within, within the company? Is there like a preferred programming language that you have to use or for every project you can pick whatever you think suits the task the best? The preferred language is uh, PHP. Uh, but uh, of course you can choose the language. Uh, you want for your particular task. But that doesn't mean uh, that uh, one guy will be using Scala, his neighbor will be using, I don't know, uh, Delphi. 
or uh, C sharp, for example. So uh, now we uh, use uh, on a par with PHP Kotlin language and uh, Go. Sorry, what, what what was the second one? Kotlin. 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 I never heard it. Is that something new? <laughs> uh, it's new. It's based on Java. So, so tell me, what is what is Kotlin good for? What kind of tasks? Oh, for Android. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, it can be used for Android. It, it's based on Java. That's why it can be used for Android, uh, for any other things where Java can be used for web, web backend, for example. So, so you can use uh, the same language to write server-side code and uh, client-side code. So, okay, I'll stop grilling you about <laughs> software engineering. So let me let me ask you in general, what, what is it that you're curious about right now? Are you cur curious about how to change diapers? <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm not curious about it now. You already solved it, right? You have your programming language for that. Yes, I, I'm a professional in that area. <laughs> uh, I'm curious about uh, machine learning and uh, investments, hmm. stocks and all these kind of things. So is that more like thinking about the future for your family or is it to make more money or both or just being smart about money? It's about future stability and being smart about money is also okay for me. So it's interesting. So where are you in that in that area? Like, are you a beginner who's learning about investing? Are you picking your own stocks, or are you investing just in some I don't know mutual funds or ETFs? ETFs and individual individual stocks. I don't uh, buy and sell every day. I just try to find a good uh, company and to buy a little bit of it. Buy and hold, right? Buy and hold. So what, what is something that people seem to misunderstand about you? And what this means is that I don't know. I meet you for the first time. I join Bumble team and I'm like, this guy is so-and-so. And then, I don't know, we have a beer half a year later. And I'm like, I was totally wrong about you, Alex. <laughs> You're not like that. Do you feel like you give a first impression in a certain way that's, it's, that is actually not like who you are? Mm, I wouldn't say so. What I would say is that... Uh... I don't like when people uh, think that uh, if you are a computer guy, you are willing you are willing to fix their computer. <laughs> <laughs> Could you fix my computer, please? Right. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Have you tried turning it off and on again? Yes. Yeah. Yes. That's the question I usually ask them. 
<laughs> so what what do you think is wrong with uh, our industry? And this, but does that mean the localization industry? Localization industry, I think it's a perfect industry and almost nothing wrong with it, uh, except that uh, in my opinion, uh, some companies uh, don't understand that localization can be a big part in a success of a product. Uh, so if you want your product to be used around the world, uh, you have to localize it and you have to invest into localization. I think that's the only bad thing about localization industry. Do you see any companies, for example, in Russia that are international and they come to Russian market, but they screw up their localization? Uh, you mean screw localization into Russian language? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I know some of companies. Some of them are very famous. Be named. <laughs> Shall not be named, yes. Okay. Um, so here is the tricky question that people usually don't know how to answer. So I'll you can you can pick one that you maybe are able to answer. Number one is things you changed your mind about. So what this means is that as you get older, you're like, uh-huh, I thought differently my whole life, but it's actually not like that. And the second is absurd or stupid things that that you do that people wouldn't consider to be normal. I changed my mind about uh, mistakes. Now, making mistakes is okay for me. Uh, I, I try to do everything uh, perfectly, but now I don't. <laughs> I just do things that that work, and that's okay. Is this something that changed maybe because of the culture at the Bumble, or what has been behind the change? Maybe if you are a programmer, you can always fix something and uh, nothing extremely wrong won't happen so everything can be fixed and uh, and that's the main idea uh, regarding stupid things I do um, some time ago instead of relaxing in a proper way uh, I was uh, scrolling news feeds uh, Facebook and YouTube uh, but when I noticed this behavior, I just uh, blocked these sites. <laughs> wow. It, it's better to relax uh, working, walking outdoors. So do, are you using some app to block it during, I don't know, certain time? Or did you block it fully? Like you can never go to Facebook. ETC hosts. You just uh, have to amend the file in your uh, file system. It, it's slash etc slash hosts, <laughs> then IP, uh, host name, and uh, that's all. Wait, that's a that's a. Is it using command line? You can use uh, command line to access this file. Or Wait, what is it? Slash etc slash etc slash hosts. Hosts. You can use uh, Vim to amend it. Oh, nano, 
Ah. You just provide their correct hostname and incorrect IP. <laughs> and, right. And yeah, it becomes impossible to access this file, these sites. Hmm. Interesting. So now you don't know what's going on around. And every time you try to access newsfeed of Facebook, for example, you just face this blocker screen. So is it just for the newsfeed or is it complete Facebook? Can you access the other features? Complete, complete Facebook. Yes. So who's posting the pictures of the baby? Is it your wife? <laughs> That's what Facebook is for, no? <laughs> Yes. Yeah, yeah. Okay, Alex. Um, final words. One thing you could change or tell everyone in the industry, what would it be? Um, I know some people in our industry still use Google Sheets for translations. They tinker around it. And uh, they write scripts to export translations and to import translations to synchronize their local database with the Google Sheet. And uh, I think it's not a good solution. It's uh, error prone. Right. So stop using Google Sheets for localization. Start using Microsoft Excel. <laughs> This podcast is brought to you by Microsoft. <laughs> no, I, I think we I think we get the idea. Right, Alex, thank you very much for the interview today. I hope you had a, a not so bad time. <laughs> okay, time. So thank you, and I'll see you some other time, hopefully. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye.